We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 323. Haven't you always wondered or wished you could just talk to your horse, or especially if you could just know if your horses truly love you? Well, today we have an equine ethologist on who believes that the horse world really needs to know more science. She believes that understanding how horses think, feel, and perceive the world are really important to building relationships with them. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Renate Larson. Hi, Renate. Hi, Bethany. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about our conversation today. I am too. I'd love to hear how you first got into the horse world. Oh, wow. So I was just your generic run-of-the-mill horse-obsessed girl, you know, uh, spent every weekend at the stable, uh, would do any chores thrown my way just so I could have, you know, maybe an extra riding lesson or, you know, just get to groom a horse. You know, I even enjoyed like polishing tack, mm-hmm. cleaning tack. Like I even enjoyed that. And that was kind of my story, you know, and they capture our hearts and then, then we're kind of stuck for life, aren't we? Definitely. And now you are an equine correct me if I'm wrong, equine ethologist? Equine ethologist, yes. An ethologist. Tell me and everyone else what that means. So ethology is uh, the scientific study of animal behavior. And as an equine ethologist, I'm specialized in equine behavior, so horse behavior, all aspects of it. Nice. Amazing. How did you get interested in like really understanding more about horse behavior? So for me, it really started with my own horse, Jay. He, you know, we have we have a great relationship. We've always had a really, really good relationship, him and I. But it was kind of 96% good. Mm-hmm. And the last, the final 4% were missing. And there were always these situations that I couldn't quite figure him out. I didn't quite understand what he was doing. Um, you know, he'd be very stressed um, in the field sometimes or in his stall. Or he would... you know, he refused to load no matter what I did, no matter how much I practiced trailer loading, no matter how much help I got. He just was very, 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 um, he refused to walk into trailer. And there were these kind of moments where we just, I just felt that we didn't vibe him and I, and I couldn't quite understand why I couldn't quite figure him out. So that was when I started just, and I've always kind of been very, very curious. And I read, even as a girl, I read everything I could find about horses, you know, whether that was, um, health, behavior, training, different disciplines, you know, which I devoured everything. So this has kind of always come very natural to me, uh, looking for information, looking for knowledge. And I started looking for this information and knowledge that would help me understand Jay. And there was nothing out there. Nothing, nothing worked with him. Nothing really, really explained to me what was going on until one day, um, and you know, I tried every single method in the book, literally everything. I've, I've gone through it all. Nothing worked on him. And I was kind of looking for this grand unifying theory of what is a horse and how does a horse work. And one day I got 
help from a trainer was I was a bit skeptical of she was a, a clicker trainer so she worked with you know food rewards positive reinforcement and I was a little bit like oh what's this this is bribery I'm not I'm not sure I'm into it but she came highly recommended and I'd literally tried everything else out there so I was like well why not let's give this a shot I'm not joking within that one session she got the damn horse loaded wow it was it was like magic and I just stood there you know John the floor I was like okay what is this and I want in on this I want in on this what's going on here and then she just you know told me a little bit she explained his behavior she explained uh, a little bit of what was going on and most importantly she made me aware of the fact that there is an entire research field an entire scientific field that deals only with animal behavior and also horse behavior so I was like okay well you know I need to find out what this is and yeah never turned back wow that's so cool and it's I think it's that extra degree of special because you were able to experience it firsthand with your horse definitely and I think for me as well you know knowing that I was struggling and knowing that I had no idea that ethology existed I realized quite quickly that many other horse owners don't realize this either so I made it a little bit my personal mission to help spread spread the science and spread Mm -hmm. awareness as well so that other horse owners who might struggle will know that there's actually a whole body of resource resources that you can access Right. What would you say are some of the maybe the most misunderstood horse behaviors? Oh, wow, that's a good question. I would say top of the list is definitely definitely the notion of leadership. So we tend to we talk about leadership a lot and leadership means you know, it can mean different things to different people, but it is one of those core concepts in any type of horsemanship. We want to be our horses leaders. We want to be good, you know, good leaders to them. We often talk about leadership as well and like in herd dynamics and how horses interact with each other. And interestingly enough, there have been a substantial number of studies now that have looked at leadership in horses. And what we've found is that there is no... There's no one leader in a herd of horses, but they share leadership. So any horse can lead at any given moment, depending on the situation, depending on the motivations of that individual. So this kind of linear idea that we all uh, have of, you know, we have an alpha mare as, you know, lead mare, and then everybody else in this sort of pecking order underneath her, that is false. That's not how horses actually work. Mm. I think that's so fascinating because that way we need to sort of start reframing our interactions with them as well, because if they don't have one leader, if they share leadership, then what does that mean for us and our role within their social group? That's so interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's not commonly talked about in that way. So that's very interesting. Um, you recently wrote an article about horses having, you know, what you called a poker face and that some horses show their signs of stress maybe more subtly than others. And I know you explained that some horses have reactive or proactive coping strategies for handling stress. So what would you say, or I guess, tell me more about what these behaviors look like? So in ethology, re- re- reactive means something different than when you and I talk about reactive horses, because we think reactive horse is a horse that reacts very strongly mm-hmm. to something, right? So in ethology, a reactive horse is the opposite. It's the horse that shuts down 
and doesn't react strongly. And this can be very confusing. So I think we should talk about active and passive coping behaviors instead, because I think that's much easier for, sure. for people to understand. So an active, an active coper uh, will try to get away from a situation that they find unpleasant. And that is the kind of behaviors that we know as rearing, uh, bucking, balking, uh, bolting, kicking, biting, you know, all these kind of very conspicuous, very obvious uh, behaviors. So these are easy to spot. A passive coper, on the other hand, will try to adapt to the situation. So they'll try to deal with it and kind of adjust to it. And that means that they will often just not do anything. They will just kind of accept whatever is going on and just try internally to adjust to this. Mm. Uh, and interestingly enough, in studies that have looked at these behaviors and then compared uh, different physiological parameters, they found that a lot of these uh, passive cobras can actually be even more stressed than the active ones, but they are more difficult for us to spot. When this is one of those situations where we need to train our eyes uh, as horse owners and keepers to know what to look for. And there are a few uh, subtle clues that we can look for. So obviously the, the active copers, they, they're pretty obvious. You know, they'll try mm -hmm. to get away from the situation. Right. These passive copers, it's more about looking at small changes in their behavior. So for example, they might stop eating, uh, even if food is available. Uh, you might see a little, I call it a worry wrinkle. So it's essentially just uh, a little wrinkle at the top of their, their eyes. Um, that's a clear, it, it's a worry wrinkle. It's essentially a sign that they're a little bit tense and anxious and concerned. Mm -hmm. You can see um, tension around the mouth, slightly flared nostrils, slightly wrinkled lips. You can see um, uh, often that they're blinking a little bit more than normal. They might be blinking a little bit quicker okay. uh, or more than normal. Sometimes blinking a little bit less than normal. So again, within with behavior, always expect complicated. There's never there's never a textbook case, unfortunately. But these are clues that taken together can be quite uh, quite valuable information. What about if someone has a like a lazy horse that exhibits shutdown behavior like standing or maybe like refusing to move? What are some ways to uncover what that horse's stressors are? What can someone do to kind of work with a horse like this? I think that's a really good question. I think the first thing we always have to consider is pain or discomfort. So if there's something physically wrong, especially if it's a behavior that appears suddenly. So if you have a horse that normally is quite forward uh, and quite happy-go-lucky and they suddenly stop refusing or start being a bit lazy or unresponsive to the leg, then that's a very important red flag that something might be going on internally, physically, that they might be. And it could be anything from, you know, mild colic to a little hoof abscess to something more serious like ulcers. So that's definitely important to keep in mind, especially with these like sudden changes that come on. Other than that, I would take a look at the environment we're in right now. So is it very windy? So wind can definitely affect um, a horse's stress levels because strong wind takes away their ability to observe their environment. So horses like to, they use all three senses. They use um, their vision and their hearing and their smell to kind of keep an eye on their environment. And obviously for them as prey animals, fundamentally, it's about discovering predators and 
four or five thousand years of domestication hasn't really changed that for them. They're still constantly on the lookout for the lion, even when even in like the fancy nice barns that we keep them in today, they're constantly on the lookout for that lion. So often um, smell might be a first kind of warning, early warning system for them. They might pick up the scent of a, of a predator and have, they have really good, very, very, very good smell, a sense of smell. So they can maybe pick up a scent of a predator. But when there's a lot of wind, that wind makes it harder for them to pick up smells, which means that they will be a little bit more tense and, and worried because of that. Oh. Same thing with hearing. After they smell something, they might start listening for something rustling in the undergrowth, you know, a twig snapping that could be an approaching predator as well. But if it's very windy, it's going to drown out all sounds. So they're not going to be able to keep an eye on that either. And then finally, they, they have really good eyesight and it's very attuned to movement. Because again, if you're thinking about their natural habitat, they're just grazing on the step tiny little movement somewhere in the grass could mean an approaching predator. So they're very attuned to that type of movement. And if it's windy, everything is moving all the time. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly fed with this sensory input that they are very sensitized to. So in combination, when it's very windy, this is why horses then tend to get a little bit tense and, and stressed because from their perspective, it's a better survival strategy to just be caught be ready to run just in case because now they can't really keep an eye on if there are any predators around. Sure. Yeah. I was just going to say, it always seems obvious to me that horses are a little bit more, you know, spooky or stressed out through windy weather, but it just makes it interesting, like putting it all in perspective, like you did and like all of their, their senses being so in tune. It's like, it's, it's kind of, it just is like a good reminder because it's a, it's a extra stressful situation. And so maybe would make you, you know, think a, a little bit more about what is absolutely necessary that day, you know, on that particularly windy day. I think that's a really nice way of looking at it and kind of acknowledging that if it is, you know, if our horses behave as though they're stressed, they are stressed. And that mm. stress is not just a physical reaction. There's an emotional experience underneath it as well. They are right. struggling. So we can do the nice thing. And maybe, you know, on this particular windy day, if we see that our horses are a little bit um, tense, a little bit stressed, they're not, you know, maybe just do an easier exercise, maybe just go, you know, go for a hack with a friend, find ways to kind of adjust our expectations, because, you know, everything they do always means something, you know, they're never mm -hmm. naughty, or, you know, stubborn, or scheming, or they're not doing anything to spite us, they're just kind of responding to how they're feeling and how the environment makes them feel. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. As horse people, I think that everyone has wanted to go on some type of trip or excursion that involves horses. It's hard to get away from them, so when we are enjoying time away on vacation or for a trip, it's so nice to be able to spend time with horses, ride horses, and have that experience in a different culture. I know for me, I've always wanted to do that, but have been really hesitant due to cultural differences for care for the horses and um, just being worried that the horses are, you know, either too thin or not sound or not getting cared for properly. And when I found unicorn trails, I really became so at peace with the care for the horses and the entire experience. 
Unicorn Trails is an equestrian tourism company that has been around for over a decade with over 300 different trips around the world. I just went on a Unicorn Trails trip to Morocco and it was absolutely unforgettable. I have a whole episode about my trip to Uni- with Unicorn Trails, which is episode 321 on the podcast. So make sure you go check it out and hear my interview with Wendy all about how she started Unicorn Trails and how the safety and the health of the horses first and foremost and the incredible places that you can go with Unicorn Trails. So for more information, visit their website at unicorntrails.com. For those of us that travel frequently with our horses, what could we do to help minimize? Because there's other, you know, obviously stress involved there with with frequent travel um, for them to kind of minimize their stress or, or, or cope with it better. You're right. Travel is inherently very stressful for horses because it's both a change of an environment and they leave their social group, their friends behind. And it's often, you know, new different water, which smells strange. It's different feeds. It's obviously often you travel for competitions or training. So there's going to be physical demands on them as well. An easy way to think about stress is as a bucket, a stress bucket. Have you heard that expression before? Yeah, I think I have. So a stress bucket, I'm just explaining it for the for the listeners who might not yeah. have heard of it before. It's if you think about your horse's capacity, because everybody has a threshold for when we re- respond to stress, because stress is a part of life. But it's up to a certain threshold that we can kind of cope with it. And beyond that, that's when we respond emotionally to it. And if you think about the horse's stress bucket, say for example, you'll have it's windy, that's a few drops of water, right? And then you're leaving his best friend behind, that's another few drops of water. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, being loaded onto the trailer, that's a few, or onto the, the lorry, that's a few drops of water. The actual, the actual journey, a few drops of water. New place, another few drops of water. The rug is chafing a little bit somewhere, another few drops of water. Maybe a hoof abscess is beginning somewhere, another few drops. And it kind of builds up and builds up. And as long as you stay within that bucket, that's fine. But at some point, you're going to get that one final drop of water that's just going to make the bucket overflow. And that's when you get these like strong reactions. Most of the time, it's um, these flight reactions and flight responses. But a good way to think of it then is that every single drop counts. So everything you can do to kind of you know, keep pour, keep taking the drops out of the bucket or preventing them from coming coming in in the first place will help your horse cope. And it can be such a thing as if you know that they, for example, struggle with drinking when they're in a strange place, because some horses do, because water can smell and taste a bit differently. So maybe if you can bring along canisters of water from your from like your home stable that, that your horse is familiar with, that could be one thing. Uh, you could try keeping routines as similar as possible to the way they are at home. And I understand that this can be difficult if you're at a showgrounds, for example. But for example, if your horse normally is fed at 6 p.m., try to maintain that routine as much as mm-hmm. possible abroad. If you have the option of traveling with a horse buddy, again, this is very, very uh, ideal. But if you have the option of bringing, if you have a horse that really struggles with traveling, for example, if you have the option of bringing a friend along, then that can always be, uh, that can always be a huge source of support. Have you seen 
the black stallion the yes old movie. so you know he has napoleon his little yes buddy right yeah so if if your horse has a napoleon and you have the option to bring napoleon along with you to whatever competition or training or wherever you're going then that is probably the best thing you can do because the social group for 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 herd animal like the horse and the prey animal like the horse's social group is going to be the ultimate source of comfort and safety and splitting from the social group is a huge source of stress in and of itself so if you can keep the social group their friend group together then that is um that is a big thing that can help Definitely. I'm just thinking I have, we, we are leaving for a horse show tomorrow and just three horses, but, um, that made me happy when you said that, because the, the three horses that I'm taking are three that are, they all live next to each other. Um, so I'd like to think they're, they're, they're pretty attached to each other. So, um, I'm like, oh, good. At least they're all traveling and, and stabling together when they're going to show. I'm sure that's going to be a huge source of comfort for them and help. Another thing you can do as well, and I'm saying you, but obviously I'm talking to the listeners as well in this case, is um, add movement and forage. So you can we tend to talk about the three Fs in horse behavior. We have uh, friends, forage, and freedom. So friends is obviously horse friends. Forage is hay or straw or hay litch, just basically the foundation or grass, the foundation of their diet. Mm -hmm. And freedom is freedom to move. So horses have a huge need to move, often much bigger than we um, than we believe. Right. So if you have your horse, and often at showgrounds, you know, there'll be limited turnout, and obviously you might be on a very, very regimental schedule who gets to go out and when, because there's limited space. It depends on where you are. But if you have the option to take your horse out and hand walk them a little bit, and maybe take them out grazing if there is a little bit of grass, it's not everywhere that's available. These are also things that can help to just kind of keep them comfortable uh, and uh, lower that uh, water level yeah. in that stress bucket. Right. Definitely. And this has to be one of the top questions equestrians everywhere would be dying to know. Do our horses love us? What's your opinion on that? Oh, the million dollar question. So <laughs> I, my personal opinion, I will say my personal opinion first, and then I will back it up with a little bit of science. My personal opinion is that whatever capacity they have for feeling the emotion of love, whatever that looks like for a horse. I believe they can feel that in some extent with regards to us, mm-hmm. at least some of us. I think yeah. horses discern between people. I don't think they, 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 they I mean, horses know different, dif- no different people from each other. They don't, yeah. you know, we're not a, we're not a big blanket uh, species to them, but we have, you know, they, they can differentiate between us. So horses are, and now a little bit for the science, why I believe this. So horses are a very social species. Um, They have evolved to live in tight-knit, stable social groups. And any social species will need to be able to form close relationships and close ties to other individuals in that group. That's That's the cohesion. That's what keeps the group together. And we do know that horses form strong friendships and pair bonds. So horses that can, that are given the opportunity can be friends for life and hang out for life. In the wild, 25%, roughly, 25% of fillies will remain in their natal band, so they will stay with their family. So again, quite a large, a substantial amount of horses will actually stay together within family, within close family ties. 
So we know that they have that kind of biological underpinning for, I suppose, social interactions and social bonding. And then on an emotional level, it's there have been some really, really interesting studies just recently. I think one in 2020, one in 2021, and one in 2022. So it's literally a very, very new uh, research field, but has been looking at oxytocin in horses. And oxytocin mm. is is a hormone that's involved in social social bonding, both within a species and with, between uh, different species. It's been extensively researched in dogs and just recently now in horses. And there is tentatively a connection between oxytocin levels in horses and their and friendly behavior they show towards people. So horses mm-hmm. that show friendly behavior towards people have a surge of oxytocin, um, indicating that it is an actual like social interaction from their side as well. That there, oh. there is an element of social bonding in this with us. So... Um, yeah, I think I think this is very. Uh, it's still a very uh, young research field. I think we need a lot more studies before we can say anything with any certainty. But mm-hmm. I, I do believe that we're going to find more and more evidence that horses actually can respond emotionally to us, um, whether it's love or not. That's hard to <laughs> say. Yeah, you can't ask them because even even between humans, what is love? Love looks differently between right. you know, that's parents and children, partners, friends, but they have, I definitely think they have the emotional capacity to enjoy spending time with us and seek us out. And I guess that is bottom line what love is. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is something that you are passionate about in the industry that you feel people either don't talk or don't know enough about? Honestly, some of the stuff we've talked about in this podcast now, I think Mm -hmm. there is so much research available now. There's just been this almost exponential increase in the last 10 years in research around horse behavior, horse emotions, horse personality. And I think a lot of that is on on me and my colleagues. We need to be better to disseminate that science and to um, give horse owners everywhere those resources. But the industry needs to start looking at behavioral research at a much, much deeper fundamental level because we have a lot of the answers to a lot of the questions. It's just that, yeah, people haven't, people don't know about it. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's definitely something that, um, you know, with more and more research, it's, it's so interesting because it's definitely things that we all want to know more about we all maybe at times struggle with and I can't even tell you how many times I've heard it said or I've even said like oh I wish I wish they could just tell us you know x y or z um there's always that you know you once you you get to know a horse and there's ways that you can kind of like feel and understand how you know based on how they react um or don't react and but yeah there there's always kind of those those question marks um where where you're always trying to learn more about your horse and i think the bottom line is continuing to you know learn more learn more from others and then just learn more from your horse like through spending time with them and and understanding and getting to know what their cues are um are are such an important part of of having a horse and and you know always being willing to learn more 
I definitely agree with you 100%, especially learning your horse. I think it's so important. Again, that was that was what got me to where I am today. I yeah. was actually listening to my He's the one who brought me to where I am today and made me realize how much there is to actually know. So definitely, I'd say listen to your horses. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely. The best thing I've ever done was listen to mine. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share some of your knowledge and and how you kind of got to where you are today. And uh, so I just I just really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And thank you for making space for this conversation and having me on. I really enjoyed it. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.